Hello, Lifehouse. It's nice to see you. It's great to be here again. And nice to introduce um, my new Melissa, Michael. It's a real privilege. Thanks for those words, my friend. I really appreciate that. Is this okay? You happy with this? You all good? Just want to see who's here. You get to stare at me so I can get to stare at you for a moment. I'm going to get into the Word of God in a moment. But while we were worshiping, um, I just was reminded of a, a moment I had with God at the beginning of the year that I'd like to remind you of, or at least mention to you, if you wouldn't mind. I was on holiday. Those are good things. Yay for holiday. Oh, by the way, if you didn't know, I have a beautiful wife, Melissa, 12 and a half years, nearly 13 years married. Yes, we started young. She was 19 when I married her, and no, she wasn't pregnant. We actually fell in love. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we have four children. The reason why Melissa is not here is because Lily, who is 10 months old, is a handful presently. Who's got a 10-month-old here? Who knows that vibe? Yeah, there we go. It's a great challenge. And uh, so we had a chat, and we thought it would be best for Lifehouse that Melissa and Lily stayed behind. Yeah, I have a daughter, Zoe, and she is nearly 10. And we have Gabriel, who's eight. And this is just for people who don't know us, who are new to Lifehouse. And I have a little hobbit. His name is Samuel. He has cheetah eyes. They are chocolate brown. We call them cheetah eyes because he wanted lion eyes, but lion eyes are yellow, aren't they? Anyway, so, yeah, so back to my story. So on holiday, I'm hanging out. I have a beautiful home uh, that overlooks the Durban Harbor and looks through Pigeon Valley. It's absolutely breathtaking. We have fish eagles that come over from time to time, and it's just a whole lot of fun. Durban is the most beautiful place. On the planet, the weather's better than Johannesburg. The wind only blows for about two months of the year. And I'm just having some time with the Lord, as we do. And I'm just speaking to the Lord, and, and suddenly I'm just aware of His presence. And I'm completely overwhelmed by the reality of His presence. And I immediately say, oh, God, I love your presence. I love being in your presence. I'm a little emotional, and immediately this thought flies into my head, as it does from time to time, and I feel God say, Ryan, I love your presence. It completely reconfigured my relationship with God. It changed so many things, and I've got some good news for you this morning. That the gospel is not about ticking boxes of going to church, whilst church is absolutely God's plan and purpose. It's not about having devotions in the morning. It's knowing that he is obsessed with you because of Jesus. Do you know that the most important person to God in all of creation is you? Now, some of your religious paradigms are being a little bit wigged out right now. We are called the apple of his eye. Last time I checked that out, that meant we were the focus of his attention. We were the prize of his heart. We were the joy of his being, you and I. 
He didn't make us to have some plaything. He made us because he is in love with us. I am becoming increasingly obsessed with the knowledge that he is obsessed with me. And when I get to know that more and more, I feel very happy. And the rhyme wasn't intended. I've got some good news for you this morning. He is obsessed with you. You were the focus of his love. You were the focus of his heart. And last time I checked, that was very good news. He's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He doesn't have issues with you. He loves you. Let that sink in for a moment. Because religion says we've got to work it up, crank it up, juice it up to get his favor. Got to go to CrossFit to get Spartanized so that someone would focus on you, give you some attention. That's not how God works. Coming to church is not going to gym. It's just getting together with a bunch of people who are absolutely in love with Jesus. I've been walking with him for just over 20 years. I got saved when I was 17 at school with Rob. Yeah. And the more I walk with him, the more I realize that he's more in love with me than I could ever be in love with him. That's the good news of the gospel. Is there a Heather here this morning? Is there a Heather here? I keep getting two names, Heather and Jason. Are either of those people here this morning? Heather and Jason. I'm very happy to be wrong. I often am wrong. But I just wanted to, does anyone, is anyone here Heather? Okay, no, no Heathers. No Jasons. Lord, when are we going to get this right? You've been telling me Jason for how long now? Just having a moment with the Lord here. Anyway, that's all cool. Can we just close our eyes, please, just for a moment? Heather and Jason, we'll get them. (laughs) Father, before we jump into your word, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would just wake people's understanding up to the reality that you are so overwhelmingly passionate about them more than they could ever grasp or imagine. Look at Rachel right now. You are so overwhelmingly in love with her. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm her heart with your loving kindness as a flood. Just flood all over her, God. (laughs) It's less about how much she loves you and more about how much you love her. Just get her. Debbie, thank you. It is Debbie, isn't it? Lord, I pray that you would just reveal to your princess, Debbie, how you love her. In the name of Jesus. And this gentleman here, I don't know your name. What's your name? Jackie. Jackie. He's close to Jason. We'll, get, we'll pray for you. <laughs> Father, thank you for Jackie. Thank you that you love him so much. I pray right now just to open your arms. Do you mind just doing this, Jackie? Yeah. And just close your eyes. Father, I thank you that this son of yours is special to you. Thank you that Jackie is your boy that he is your son whom you love, that all of creation joins in with you to share that emotion, that truth, that you love him. And Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm him this morning with how much you love him. You love Jackie. You're a prince. That's who you are. Thank you, Lord. 
just going to wait just a moment. Don't be scared. <laughs> that man there, what's your name? Emmanuel. Can you come join me here, please? Can you give him a huge round of applause? I just need, I just need one brother in. Don't, you don't have to face them. You don't have to face them. <laughs> yeah, just lift up your hands, bro. That's what we do in church. We lift up our hands. We do a whole lot of things. Father, thank you for Emmanuel. What an amazing name. What a perfect name for this guy. God with you. Lord, I thank you that your heart for him is overwhelmingly clear. You're not angry with him. He's not a failure. I just hear God say that over and over again. You're not a failure. You're not a failure. I thank you, Father, that your heart for him burns with this truth. You're my son. <laughs> no, you just keep receiving, bro. You, you see what's happening to you right now? You feeling that? That's his love. Just close your eyes. Don't be scared. <laughs> Father, just right now, as you're just pouring out your loving kindness as a flood, overwhelm him. Because whenever people have got close in the past, he's run. No more running. Every time you turn to run, you run straight back into him. His plan for you, Emmanuel, is great. That you would carry the love of God for a broken generation. That you would carry the healing love of God for a broken generation. God, I thank you that right now you overwhelm him with your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He loves your presence. You're not a mistake. I hear the Father say, you were never a mistake. There are no mistakes. Thank you, Jesus. Can you say this with me? Emmanuel, you are not a mistake. You are the joy of the Father. You are the prize of his heart. You are an instrument of power in his hands. You are his banner to the nations. And you are a prince. That's who you are, Emmanuel. That's who you are in Jesus' name. Wow. God's all over you, bro. Can I give you a hug? Cool. Awesome. Okay, I, I feel better now. So I'm supposed to preach this morning, apparently. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you. How much time do I have? 15 minutes. 15 minutes, okay? I'll try. No, I don't, want to, I don't want to preach long anyway. I don't like preaching too long. I want to share something with you this morning that I believe God wants to do to this house. And in doing that, he wants to apprehend us because you and I are the living stones that God is building together to be God's people on this planet. So what God does with you individually, he does with you corporately. Isn't that true? And God wants to do some things to some people with you this morning because God is taking Lifehouse into a whole new season of awakening, a whole new season of impact, a whole new season of influence. The gears are changing over this community. 
They're engaging and they are changing. And God wants not one person left behind. When God took his people out of Egypt into uh, the increasing promises of his heart for them, not one of them were left in Egypt. Okay? Now forget about Egypt. It's a land of slavery. We're not talking about that. But God's heart is that every person would live in his purposes for their lives. And so what God does with you individually, he does with the whole household. And God is taking this community, Lifehouse, into more influence. And in order to carry more influence, God has to take us into new realms of intimacy with him. Because all influence, all power, all authority is not ramped up in how clever you are and how able you are. And how strong you are or how loud you are, it's all wrapped up in how much you know Jesus and how much he is inside of your heart. Let me tell you something. Johannesburg, Joyburg, whatever you want to call it, Gauteng, Gangster's Paradise, whatever you want to call it, Gauteng doesn't need another church that knows about God. We need a community of men and women who know God. Hello, Justin. How are you feeling, buddy? Are you feeling a little bit better? Pofada, eh? God bless Pofada too. We don't need another church that tells the city about Jesus. We need a community of men and women that when they look into our eyes, they might not get what we say, but they know that we know what we're talking about. Isn't that true? Don't you just love hanging with people that you hear their words, but you can see in their eyes that they know what they're talking about. They are living in truth. And this is what God is wanting to do with Lifehouse. He's taking you deeper into knowing Him, not knowing about Him. Isn't that true? I know my wife, man. I know her. I can tell you lots about her, but I know her. And when I speak about Melissa, you know that there is reality. There is joy. And when you speak to me about Melissa, and when I speak to you about Melissa, it's as if you are meeting her. Isn't that true? Maybe that's not true of your marriage. But intimacy brings a sense of knowing that when people encounter the spouse, as it were, they meet the other spouse. And God wants to introduce Jesus to Johannesburg and Johannesburg to Jesus through you. That's amazing. He wants to introduce Johannesburg to Jesus through you. Not an idea, not a concept but a living person. And you are the hands, the feet, the face, the laughter, the joy, the whisper, the song of Jesus in Johannesburg. And so God is taking Lifehouse. He's changing the gears. He's wanting to bring influence, but all influence takes place in intimacy. Come and do that, God. Amen. All right. Wow. Matthew chapter 8. Turn there with me, please. I would so appreciate that. This is a new Bible. My daughter Lily destroyed the last one. I've learned that you don't leave your Bible on your bed with a 10-month-old whose nails tend to grow far too long. So this is my new Bible. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, 
I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Whenever I see that in scripture, whenever I see people amazing Jesus, I take special note of what what is going down. He was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in all Israel with such great faith. I say to that, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed it would. And his servants, sorry, and his servant at least was healed at that very moment. This portion of scripture, this moment, this encounter of Jesus with the centurion is happening in the midst of something. Matthew is writing this gospel to express the heart of God to the recipients of this message. And he's telling a story. Matthew is a very, very clever compiler of stories. He's telling a story to, com- to convey God's heart to the hearers of this message. And so Matthew... The first part of Matthew is an introduction to the king, King Jesus. Who is he? He was born by virgin birth. He was placed in a family and all those amazing things. He came in grace. He had an incredibly botched up lineage. It was a mess and yet grace overwhelms all of that. And then he goes up onto a mountainside and he begins to reconfigure their minds and their hearts because he's raising up a kingdom community. And so from Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he starts speaking about what the kingdom of God looks like because they have seen the kingdom of God expressed for, through Pharisees and Sadducees and they thought that religion looked like constipated Christianity, all wound up and messed up and blocked up and A lot of religious language with no reality. And so he begins to turn their eyes back to what the kingdom of God looks like. And he says, the kingdom of God belongs to the poor in spirit. That's where the kingdom of God lands. You don't have to have it all together. You've got to throw yourself onto Jesus. He said, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Belongs to the poor in spirit. And so through Matthew chapter 5, on the mountain, he begins to speak about what the kingdom of God looks like. And he gets into their heads. And he messes with their heads and their hearts. Because their heads and their hearts have it all wrong. They've been looking at the Pharisees and they've thought that's what it looks like. But it doesn't look like religion. It doesn't look like ticking boxes. It doesn't look like wearing masks and trying to pretend that everything's okay. It looks like throwing yourself onto Jesus and saying, Jesus, I can't, but you can. And that's where the kingdom of God comes. But then he comes down from the mountainside. Because the kingdom of God is not about talk. It's a matter of power. And the church is wound up with talking about the kingdom. But Jesus begins to land the kingdom of God. And he comes down from the mountainside. It's not about talking about the kingdom. It's about living out the kingdom. It's not about intellectualism. It's about 
manifesting the kingdom. And he comes down from the mountainside and he begins to demonstrate everything he's been talking about. And the first person he walks into is the most rejected of all amongst the people of God in those days. A leper. A leper. An outcast. A reject. The worst of the worst. The very person who needed healing. Who needed an encounter with God. And yet the Pharisees had written it in to their law. A non-verbal law. Stay away from the leper. Because if you come near to the leper, you will be made unclean. And so the very people that needed healing were the people that were rejected and neglected the most. And Jesus comes down. And this leper comes running to him. Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me. The leper knew that Jesus had all all ability to heal. And yet he wasn't sure in his heart whether Jesus would want to heal him. And before he said a word, he reached out his hand and he touched the leper. And he said, I am willing, be healed. And in a moment, this leper was healed physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But not only those things, he was reintroduced to society as a whole individual. He said, go back to the people of Moses and offer the sacrifices required because I want everyone to see that when the kingdom of God comes, I restore people emotionally, physically, spiritually, and socially. You are no longer a reject. This is good news, man. God wants to break into the whole of Johannesburg and fix Johannesburg up completely and utterly. Okay, I'm the only one excited about that. With a few of you. Now, why am I telling you this? All the disciples were watching this. Jesus is saying all this cool stuff, but does he really mean it? And he walks into this leper, and they saw he really means what he says. The kingdom of God wants to land. Land amongst the messiest of the messiest, the ugliest of the ugliest, the worst of the worst, the smelliest of the smelliest, the messed up of the messed up. The kingdom is for them. And the disciples saw this. And everything inside of them was getting completely reconfigured. Oh, wow. This is amazing. And then... He walks into someone called a centurion. There are three role players, as it were, in this story. We have Jesus, we have the slave or the servant, and we have the centurion. We know that the slave, it's also rendered slave in other translations, this servant was suffering terribly. Say suffering terribly. He was messed up. He was paralyzed. He was lying at home in an absolute wreck, in desperate need of change and transformation. That's the first person in the story that we need to get our heads around. The second person is our hero, King Jesus. And Jesus, we see this when he speaks to the centurion. He says, shall I come and heal him? That phrase reveals three things about Jesus. Number one, that he is available Number two, he is willing. And number three, when Jesus steps in, it all changes. He has all ability and all authority. But this is profound. We see in these two people, we see the need of earth and we see the supply of heaven. 
And Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. He is the full supply of all of earth's needs. But we see another person, and his name's a centurion. And this is a profound moment. Because Jesus, in speaking about the kingdom of God and demonstrating what it looks like, is trying to train and equip his disciples that would take his message into all the world. And his object lesson this morning is this man, the centurion. And God's going to speak to you through this centurion this morning. Are you with me so far? Now, what is it about the centurion that's so jolly important? I want to point you to three things. Number one, his rank. Number two, the... His ridicule, and number three, the fact that he recognized something. Say rank. Rank. Say ridicule. Ridicule. And say recognize. Now, he was a centurion. And a centurion is a person that's put in power over 100 Roman soldiers. This centurion was a man used to wielding power. As he said when he spoke to Jesus, when I speak, they say, how high should we jump? He was used to power, wielding power. After all, he wasn't a centurion, a soldier sent by some Arab country. He was a Roman centurion. He understood authority. He understood dominion. He understood power. He understood the power of his spoken word. He was a man of pride, prestige, and power. He knew his rank. And not only was he a centurion, but he was placed in a special town called Capernaum. Capernaum was on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a a key trade route between the east and the west, Damascus and Tyre. It was a major trade route. And Capernaum was an economic hub, much like Johannesburg. So when you think of Capernaum, think of Johannesburg, a powerful economic hub. And the Roman occupiers had come in to take this place. And they recognized the importance of Capernaum for financial and resource reasons. And they say, we are going to put one of our men, one of our ambassadors, one of our representatives here in Capernaum. It's an important city. And so not only was this Roman centurion a centurion, he was a Roman centurion in a very important city. Are you with me so far? He was a man of rank. Number two, not only was he a man of rank, he was a man of ridicule. You see, we need to understand the historical and political context of the day. The Romans had come in to take occupation of a land that wasn't theirs. And the Jews, the Hebrews on the ground, absolutely hated the Romans. Number one, firstly, they were illegitimate occupiers of the Holy Land. Okay, And number two, they were Gentile pigs. You know, if you understand anything of the history of the Jewish people... You have Jews and you have Gentiles. They would not associate with the Jew, uh, with the Gentile. They considered Jews pigs. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. They considered Gentiles pigs. And so we have two things colliding here. We have Gentiles that have come in to say, your land is our land. They absolutely despised the Roman occupying force. There was a group of people called the Sicarii that used to carry blades that would take it upon themselves to rid the Holy Land of their Gentile occupiers. They would come alongside 
And they would carry the load of a Roman soldier for a mile. Remember Jesus said, if someone asked you to carry their pack for a mile, well, that's what would happen. Roman soldiers would come along to the inhabitants of the land and say, can you help me carry my pack for a mile? Jesus says, carry it two miles. But this group of people, they would carry that pack for a mile, go off the side of the road and wait for an opportunity as they took their blades from within their their robe and looked for an opportunity of slicing the Roman soldiers' necks. And they were considered the heroes in the land. They were the zealots. They were zealous for the holy land. This is the extent to which they hated the Gentile Roman occupiers. And here is this man who was used to power, prestige, and prominence, who was used to ridicule, walking throughout Capernaum, people behind their back, his back, spitting at him. Imagine the complex that he would have had. At one moment, I am a Roman reject. And so this is this man, this Roman centurion, But there was something about this Roman centurion that was profound that caused Jesus to say, your faith is very great. Now, I said the third thing that we'd look at is recognition. It's an amazing thing that takes place. That while this man of great power and prestige, this man who understood rejection and ridicule, he recognized a few things. Number one, he recognized his limitations. He knew that here his servant was done for. But for some outlandish supernatural intervention, there was nothing that the Roman centurion could do in his own power to touch and change his servant's life. This man, used to wielding power, knowing how things would happen around him, he knew his limitations. This is very important. And secondly, he recognized the value of someone who should have no value. I'm going somewhere with all of this. His servant was there to serve him. His servant, his slave, was worthless. Bought on a slave market for a few denarii. Worthless. You could kill a slave in an instant. If a slave stepped out of line, you could kill him. If they got sick, you could get rid of them. And that's not sell them on. That's take their life. And here, in this moment, this Roman centurion recognized the value of a person. This centurion was a profound person. And the third thing he recognized, he understood his limitations. He understood the value of a slave. And thirdly, he understood that there was one who had all power. He recognized that in Jesus... There were no limitations. He recognized that while there were limitations in him, there was one who had no limitation. And so, he had to make a decision. And this is when I need, can I, Gary, can you grab those things? Thanks, bro. This is a bag, I'll grab them in a moment. Yeah, thanks, bro. As you can see, here are some bags. Matthew chapter 10 says, when he releases his disciples into carrying his kingdom, he says, preach this gospel, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And then he says, freely as you have received, freely give. Freely as you have received, 
freely give. He was raising up a generation of people with free hearts and free hands. That what they were receiving, they were able to pass on like a good center in rugby. Like a good all black center in rugby. Brah, Kiwi mates here, we love you, man, I tell you. Freely as you've received, freely give. Now, this centurion, Jesus was using to awaken his disciples and teach them a lesson. And what was the lesson he was trying to teach them? This centurion had a great opportunity to carry some things. He had the opportunity of carrying pride. Just bear with me here. I've been doing bench press of late. No, I really haven't. He had great opportunity to carry the backpack of pride. I am a Roman centurion. Everyone should bow and scrape at my feet. So the opportunity of him carrying pride was very real. Secondly, let me look at my notes. Where have you gone? He had great opportunity to carry self-importance and self-preoccupation. I'm a Roman centurion, a man of rank, valor. I'm Roman after all. It's all about me. Everyone serves me. Everyone bows, bows down and attends to my needs. Self-preoccupation. He had opportunity of carrying pride and self-preoccupation. And the third was prejudice. These scumbag Jews. Don't they know we are Romans? We are the answer to the world's problems. And here they are calling us Gentile pigs. These monotheistic whackouts. Who do they think they are? Honestly, they are scum. Like the colonizers of old. And here this Roman centurion walking around laden, carrying pride, self-preoccupation and prejudice. Are you with me? And yet there was something about this Roman centurion that was profound. In a moment of great need, his slave, his servant, suffering terribly, he was able to drop his self-preoccupation. He was able to drop his prejudice. Most likely, the slave was a local. He was able to deal with his pride and open up his hands and go from the one in great need to the one who has all supply. And in humility, say, God, I cannot do this, but you can. But the problem was this. And the problem of the disciple is often the problem of the church today. We walk around, you and me, walk around with pride. I live my life all about me. It's about my holiday. It's about what I do with my money. It's about what I do with my words. It's about what I do with my time. It's all about me, me, me. This postmodern secular society says you are the most important thing on the planet. It's breeding individualism. And the church comes into an encounter with Jesus. And we carry pride. And we carry self-preoccupation. We preoccupied with not only who we are, 
but what we do is who we are. We're walking around and we have prejudices. Oh, don't we have prejudices? Come on, let's get real. We're in Johannesburg. Don't we have prejudices? I'm white, middle class, South African. We walk around with prejudice. And then God comes to us and he says, Lifehouse, I want you to carry my heart. I want you to carry my purpose for Johannesburg. And he says, carry my heart. And we look up and we go, but God, I can't. Just give me a moment here. Just let me free up a hand to add your purpose to my preoccupation and my pride and my prejudice. Let me carry this. Or just hold on a sec. Let me free up a hand. And we wonder, oh, we wonder. We wonder how we could ever count for God. And God is looking for a people like the centurion who would stand between the need of earth and the great supply of heaven. He's looking for us, friends. He's looking for you. He's looking for me. He's looking for Lifehouse. But our great, great challenge is the courage to drop all the baggage. Just drop all the baggage. To drop all the baggage so that we can freely receive. How do we receive God's heart so freely when we're carrying all the muck? (laughs) And he wants us to drop it all and let it go. The measure to which we can let go is the measure to which we can carry God's heart for our spouse, for our family. We talk about the city. We talk about the broken and the bruised. What about your husband or your wife? No. No. I'm the head of the house. You got issues, China Plate. Drop your baggage, man. No, she must listen to me, man. Flip's sake. Honestly, you know, I am the guy that makes all the decisions here. When the rubber hits the road, I'm the main She must listen to me. You cannot even carry Father God's heart for your wife with that mess. It's mess. Hiding behind pride and self-preoccupation. And your wife needs an encounter with God. Needs you to serve her. Needs you to pray for her. Needs you to love on her. But you're carrying all this Rubbish. Put it down. Now I'm speaking on behalf of the men here. I can't equally speak on behalf of the woman. What about our kids? What about this church called Lifehouse? That God is leading into much, much more. Sorry, my man. I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just preoccupied with you know, my adventure sports, and I love adventure sports. I'm a surfer. I've been surfing for a long, long, long time. I've been surfing for 25 years, my darling. And I can't lay down my life to love on the unlovable. 
You've got to put it down. You've got to carry God's heart. The church looks more like porters than they do disciples. So what is God looking for us? He's looking for us to lay down all the baggage so that we can carry his heart. I want to love you, my child. Drop your baggage. I'm not like your father, your earthly father, who never appreciated you without you doing something. I am not like your earthly father. We carry all these lenses that we project onto God and God wants to come and land in our hearts with love and intimacy and affection and hold us near so that we can carry his heart for people. But we carry the baggage and we say, my earthly dad is like you. It's not true. We've got to put it down and let him love on us. Are you with me? No one's ever taken me serious. No one's ever thought I could amount to anything. Surely that's you, God, and you hear the preaching of the word, and you hear these moments, these prophetic rally calls in the midst of worship, and we hold this baggage. Put it down. It's not true, that stuff, man. It's not true. You are everything to him. And we loosen our hands. It's far away. That baggage. And we've got issues with authority or whatever it may be. And God wants us free to receive so that we can freely give. Friends, we cannot give unless we receive. We cannot give unless we receive. Let me say it again. We cannot give unless we receive. Let me just check my notes here. God wants us to drop some stuff. Uh, we are 20 years into democracy, apparently. 20 years, man. The walls of apartheid have come down. We're fixed up, aren't we? No such thing as racism anymore, officially. And yet in every single one of our hearts, there is that thing that lingers. And we value those that are only valuable, uh, valuable to us in accordance with what we deem to be valuable. And so when people look different and act different and speak different, let me tell you a story of how God is wanting us to drop the trash so that we can value one person. There's a guy, Dan Mola. I don't know if you've heard of, anyone heard of Dan Mola? He preaches a sermon. He tells a story of how he's driving down the, the road of the city that he doesn't live in. He's just ministering there. And he looks down this alley. And in the distance, he sees this guy hobbling along. He's hobbling along. He thinks he's got a broken leg. So he goes, oh, I've got to go and pray for this guy. So he, he stops his car and he runs down the alleyway. And the closer he gets to this guy, he sees it's not a cast. It's this white towel that's wrapped around this dude's leg. And it's taped up. And actually, it's, he gets close to him and he's smelling of alcohol. He's just reeking of alcohol. And he gets even closer and he realizes this guy doesn't have a limp from a broken leg. He's an outie. He's a malala limpiping. He's a, he, he's a bumala. And he gets so close to him and he's reeking of human excrement. He's just stinking. He looks bad. He smells bad. He's just bad. 
And he goes, uh-oh, I've run all this way, I'm in. One, two. Oh, there we go. And he starts loving on this dude. Hey, bro, what's, what's the story? How did you get all messed up? I've come to pray for you. He looks at him like he's from some other planet. He says, no, I want to fix you up, man. He says, jump into my car. We've got to get you all sorted out. You can't live on the streets like this. You can't carry on like this anymore. So he gets in the car, this oak wide-eyed and mystified. And he looks at Dan and he says, why would you want to do this? And so Dan looks at him, he says, that's a silly question. The question you should be asking is, why wouldn't I want to do this? They pull up to Walmart and he's walking down the aisles and everybody's just going, what is up here, man? You stink. What are you doing with this dude? And he kits him out and he takes off all, his, all of his clothes and he walks up with this new bag of you know, wardrobe of clothing and shoes and, you know, Christmas has come to town and he walks up to the teller and the teller's just like looking at this going, what is up here? And the teller says, hey, why, why, why would you want to do this? He says, you know what? This is the second time I've been asked this question. The question is, why would I not want to do this? Are you hearing this? And everyone just keeps looking at them like they whacked out. There's a problem with Dan. There's no problem with Dan. There's a problem with us. When we would think, why would we want to do that? For someone who smells bad, who looks bad, who acts bad. And he gets into the car and he drives him away and he's sharing the heart of Jesus for this brother. And this guy looks at Dan. You know how people that have been rejected by society look away. And, and in this moment, he looks at Dan and he, he just, he's tearing up. And he says, I don't know how to say this, but I want to say this. I love you. I've never said that before. I've just met you, but I want to say that I love you. Oh, come on. That is amazing. The value of one person. You know, we talk about changing Johannesburg, changing Devon, changing South Africa. But it's about loving one person at a time. And we've got to drop the bags of prejudice. God is positioning you, life house, to change gears. But you and I, we need to drop some muck. We've got to drop our pride. We've got to drop our self-preoccupation. We've got to drop our prejudice so that we can carry the heart of God. Now, I want, I want to end this because we're going to pray for some people. Guess what? I've got some... Really awesome news. Jesus Christ is our chief centurion. He's the one that knows how to be rejected. He is the one from another land. Not from some terrible occupying force, but one who would come and love. But he is the one that is called despised and rejected. He is the one that has straddled the need of earth and the supply of heaven. Heaven, Father God, who is willing, who is able, who is available, who desires to meet every single need of this planet. 
He is our Roman centurion. He laid aside his majesty. He laid aside the privileges of eternity. He took on himself your and my flesh to be made just like us from the perfections of heaven. He condescended to meet us where we are. Jesus Christ is our ultimate centurion. And he was stood before the Father and said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. He stood in our defense. This is the good news of the gospel. 